Their long endeavors had been finished, and the sixteen rings divided among the elven smiths of Eregion. The High King was woefully absent from the host indulging in the bounty of the rings, as was Celeborn, who seldom showed face, especially in the presence of the Myrdain. And in the scarce conversations he shared with few, he would talk long of his desire to reconvene with Galadriel in Lothlorien, but as of yet he remained immobile. Despite the absence of acclaim and admiration from the elven kings and lords, the Gwaith-e Myrdain pleasured in their creation, and as Anatar had promised, each bearer of a ring was bequeathed with certain powers and longevity, and Celebrimbor took pride in the resolution of their hard-won enterprise. However, as time drew on, and the long years of peace passed, something changed in Celebrimbor's heart. Perhaps it was the reality that Anatar had not returned to Eregion in an abounding span of years, with no farewell nor parting word, or that Galadriel's parting wisdom had at last reached the reasoning of Celebrimbor, now that Anatar was no longer there to assuage its temptation. Whatever the reason was, Celebrimbor grew ever weary, unable to sleep, and day by day, growing in resentment towards the craft that once kindled the flame of passion within his heart. But to whom would he turn? To whom could he confide in? For the mere dying ever remained in the palm of Anatar's proclaimed vision, and his already meager friendship with Celeborn was all but severed. So instead of seeking confidence, he remained in solitaire, with an unnerving suspicion that ran rampant in the depths of his fea. He would abstain from eating for long hours, and sulk in the confinement of his chambers often, only to the ensuing of hearsay and whispers amongst the Myrdain regarding the happenings of their lord. Yet Celebrimbor made no response, nor address. Whether it was for the betterment or ailment of Eregion, he did not know, yet he remained silent. In time, amplified by the haunting isolation of his chambers, the suspicion, the restlessness, and the fear finally overcame him, and in a rash act, the Myrdain and Eregion far out of mind, he mounted a draft steed and made eastwards to the decorated doors of Durin. Celebrimbor arrived at the doors of Durin in the dead of night, weary from his journey. He dismounted from his steed and approached the doors, feeling a sense of dread wash over him as he laid his hands on the cold carved stone. He hesitated for a moment, unsure if he was making the right decision, but the fear and suspicion that had consumed him for so long drove him forward. Narvi would meet him in haste, far in the depths of Hithaglir, deep within the Hat Hodrond, and the two reconvened within the comfort of a quaint dwarven hall, torpid around a hefty stone table. Martin, offered Narvi, who had grown far older in years since their last meeting, with a face as stern as stone, yet as warm as the light of Laurelin. The proud dwarven smith had already assembled a helping of great magnitude, with no end of meats nor lichens. Nay, denied the distraught elven smith, hunched over the table. My heart is not yet right to satiate my discomfort with the trifle indulgement. I am in need of mending far greater than the likes of nourishment. What quells you, almighty smith, lord of Eregion? Narvi asked, abashed. For your ambition has come to light, as you yearned for long ago, and the elves of Eregion have grown in strength and might. 
What troubles a victorious craftsman whose realm is amplified by his toils? Great ambition does not always result to the greatness we sought to achieve, reflected Celebrimbor. Even a craftsman with the purest of intentions may act in folly. And did you? questioned Narvi, ceasing eating and perching up in his chair. I do not know, answered Celebrimbor truthfully. But a great darkness rests over my heart, one not easily assuaged. Gwaiti Myrdain, instead of the proud smiths I once led, had become blinded in praise of the emissary, acting as if a cult in worship of his arts. And as for emissary, Celebrimbor continued, he has vanished yet, his presence remains abundant, as if a wraith moving amongst the shadows of Ostinendia and no ship has left the harbors of Círdan without his knowledge, yet he has seen no such emissary leave in return to Valinor. So where now rests the astute Anatar, Lord of Gifts? Such is only a guess. You fear that some great evil is at work? Narvi guessed. Yes, Kilabrimbor spoke simply, as if some premonition was bestowed upon me by the hands of the Valar. I fear some servant of the enemy has played their hand in the toils of the Myrdain, and that I aided in their endeavors. Do not be dismayed, Celebrimbor. Even if what you say is true, the fault is not yours, nor the smiths of Eregion. I must ask, however, what then of the rings? They function as needed, I presume. Indeed, affirmed the elven smith. Alas, even still, I do not know what purpose they should serve or whether they should be raised completely. Such seems a waste when I am only guessing at the part of evil has played in this symphony of jewel-craft, and I dare not burden you with these questions, Onarvi. You do not deserve such hardship. Celebrimbor, every time I was over bounds, or in despair or anguish, you spoke of the wisdom of your lord and lady, while I understand that your fragile bond with Lord Celeborn has since been shattered beyond repair by even the greatest of smiths, I too understand that Lady Galadriel yet yearns for the friendship that once existed between you. You know this, stammered Celebrimbor, somewhat relieved at the thought. How? As you may recall, Galadriel parted from Eregion and journeyed these very halls with her company, reminded Narvi. But before her departure to Lothlorien, she had the mind to converse with me and talked long, yet solemnly, about the lord of the Myrdain. She cares for you, Celebrimbor, and I deem that if you approached her in repentance, she would forgive the severance. For gone was my hope that I'd ever regain her grace, but now I know what I must, for her wisdom may be the saviour of my sanity. Thank you, for I see now what I must do. I was lost in my fear, yet you have reinstilled reason. May your beard grow ever longer, Master Narvi. Celebrimbor would not delay in seeking out the Lady of Lothlorien, and he made eastwards through the mountain halls, far past the eastern gate of Hithaglir, and deep into the heart of the forests outstretched from the Anduin. And there, as elegant, pristine, and mighty as a woodland realm of the Caledrim could be, stood the vast myriad of towers, steeples, and dwellings interwoven into the thickets of the Golden Wood, Lothlorien.
You should not have idled so long, Celebrimbor. Spoke Galadriel, clad in green and white robes that fell onto the yellow grass bristling the earth. I feared day unto day the Myrdain fall further into his grasp. You are fortunate enough to have mitigated the cunning poison Anatar had placed upon you, yet the Myrdain will not find such a blessing. Forgive me, Celebrimbor bowed low. Forgive my petty resentment of you, and forgive my ousting of your wisdom. For long I wept in my chambers at our severance, and now succeeding the departure of the emissary, I offer my repentance. You needn't humble yourself, Celebrimbor. Comforted Galadriel, she turned and strode to the base of a silvery tree of immense height, branching upwards and outwards, sprouting leaves of a vibrant golden hue. You are no divisor of evil schemes, nor a conductor of this malicious scherzo. You are Celebrimbor, Lord of Eregion, whose ambition and heart burns brighter than that of Feanor. You speak too kindly for a smith who coveted his own wisdom, over that of the Lady Galadriel's, and far too fondly of one who evaded the emissary. You are misguided and burdened by needless guilt, for it was Anatar who abetted you, with an allure few could overcome. I was just so certain I held Elvendom's best interest at heart, confessed Celebrimbor, and that my and Anatar's intentions were pure, all for naught. Do not dwell on that which has already cemented, advised the Lady of Lothlorien. For the art of recompense lies still within your fea. There remains time to make amends. Then what do you advise I do? quavered Celebrimbor in genuine despair. For the rings hath administered a region, and wherever dark art was at work has no doubt already emplaced itself there. I say again, you idle too long, so you must now seize your wavering. The sixteen rings will not be easily swayed out of the hands of their bearers. Thus, they shall remain so in their keeping. We can only hope that Anatar's grasp hangs not too heavily over them. So we do nothing? Celebrimbor queried, baffled. For who could know what part the wretched wraith has played? I have my own conjectures on what or who sought to deceive Eregion. Galadriel looked to Celebrimbor intently. Yet the time is not yet ripe to take action regarding the Nine, nor the Seven. So there is no hope, trembled the despairing Noldoran prince. We loiter in the face of burgeoning shadow. Do not speak in rash haste, counseled Galadriel. While we have undoubtedly been subjected to their schemes, hope remains while your ambition is true. My ambition? faltered Celebrimbor. Your ambition, which swayed you to craft the sixteen rings of power, was it not to amplify and preserve the beauty of Middle-earth? recalled Galadriel. And while Anatar's influence may have overcome the Enterprise, the emissary did not too strip you of your expertise in the craft. Galadriel, clasping her hands around Celebrimbor's quavering palms, spoke with vigor and prowess. Return, Celebrimbor. Return to your esteemed forge and wield your grandsire's hammer once again. 
imbuing your craft upon each facet of this newfound hope. Part from the ways the Myrdain have succumbed to, and embody Feanor, as he should have been. Craft a rebirth of that which was before quelled by Anatar, yet now without his intervention or presence. Muster the sum of all that you have learned, and forge in secret three rings for the elven kings of Eriador, under the sky, to permeate a certain strength in the Westlands, mighty enough to hold the shadow of the east at bay, adhering to the chronicles of Aule, guided by the ever-watch of Manwe, and by the grace of Iluvatar, may this enterprise be wrought. Achieve this Celebrimbor, and Middle-earth may yet endure once more. And so, in haste, the endeavors of Celebrimbor resumed. In the dark hours of the night, in secret from the watchful eyes of the Myrdain, Celebrimbor once again ordained the same craft which forged the Sixteen. In the gloom of his forge, amidst the shadows of the blackened nights, Celebrimbor labored to shape the foundation of this newfound strength, to begin the triumphant fanfare that would conclude the toils of the Myrdain. He crowned the ring of Narya, said to wield the very wrath of flame with a delicately shaped ruby. The red gem represented all that Middle-earth had seen and endured, carrying with it the nurturing nature of the land that had withstood the might of Morgoth. In answer to Narya, he crafted Vilya, which wielded the very winds of Manwe, adorned with a sapphire that symbolized the once-proud jewelers of Erechian and their eternal creativity and concentration. At last he forged Nenya, the chief of the three, said to channel the many seas of Olmo into its bearer, upon it was set a stone of adamant, remembering the endurance of Elvendom and their steadfast nature. This ring Galadriel would bear, and Galadriel alone, for few could wield its potent power. And so the rings had been wrought, and the sanity of the Savior saved, and he came in time to Mithlond, bearing the bounty of Vilya and Narya into the vast and ever-growing port city. The fool who persists in his folly may yet become wise, the High King declared as he strode upon the seamless stone harbor, a stronghold against the writhing tide of the Gulf of Lun. Despite my grievances about the symphony you composed with the emissary, the one you have crafted alone has proven to be most sacred and fruitful. I commend your efforts, Celebrimbor. I deserve no such praise, Celebrimbor insisted. I merely righted the many wrongs I permitted to ensue in Eregion. You did more than that, the High King, Gilgalad, reassured him, his voice filled with admiration. You rekindled hope, whose keeping is the most difficult trial one can face. From this day forth you should be no stranger to pride nor praise. I assure you that your name and legacy will be remembered by every soul who graces this Middle-earth. 
Celebrimbor made no response, and as he walked alongside Gilgalad, he could not help but bask in the warmth of the rising sun and the cool, flourishing breeze from the west. And then, in the midst of the tranquility brought by the completion of the Three Rings and the lingering discomfort at the thought of the nameless fear, he felt a certain might from the west wind caress his cheeks, a sensation he had not countered since Erendil sailed Vingalot those many years ago. It was as if a sign from the Valar, a whisper that their attention had once again turned towards Middle-earth. The Lord of the House of the Golden Flower beamed in the silver glades of Irmo Lorien. The constellations gathered above him in a portentous portrait, oscillating from the true north to the distant south, circling gracefully from east to west into the center above his dandelion mane. Colorless winds issued desires of divinity from oboes and flutes high in the scarlet palette of the sky. The reflections in the pond before him captured the glimpses of the Elder Majesties from Ilmarin as they descended in his presence. Behind them a synchronous sound of wings was followed by a convocation of eagles led by the familiar face of Lord Thorondor. He welcomed the procession to a dais hewn by Aule, overlooking a ring of great beasts under the care of Yavanna. Across the luminous stage stood three emissaries of the great powers, and between them the Vala responsible for his doom. Known to the Eruhin as Banos the Dread Imprisoner and Bador the Judge, it was this patron who had lifted the ban of the Noldor from the Undying Lands. Sixteen hundred years into the Second Age, he once more had a decision to announce. He flanked the Lady of Lamentation, one whose grief had captured a life he once lived and had lost, and in the shadow of her locks he felt boundless mercy. Forever I am in your gratitude, he responded to her graceful gaze with a nod, casting a glance at her brothers. This day I would not have lived to witness, and it was in death that you guided me towards this purpose. It was your mercy that shaped the fate of Middle-earth, dear Glorfindel. Nienna spoke as one who carried both relief and restlessness in equal measure. I do not choose to be merciful, just as I do not wish to feel morose. You had the choice to forget mercy and forsake grief, yet you turned towards the great fear instead. And the rest is now indeed history. Glorfindel was approached by Amaya, who had learned a great deal from Nienna in the gardens of Irmo, Amaya of equal importance to the degree of Eru. Amaya who, like him, would be judged noblest, one whose sacrifice too would be deemed consequential, like his was for the defeat of Morgoth Baglir. Aloran had exchanged much wisdom with Glorfindel in the mazes of Mandos for years uncounted since his reawakening. Now he was ready to sign his departure with words of encouragement. By the will of the One, I will see you on the other side, Oloran said to Glorfindel, looking over his shoulder at the smiths of Aule and the growers of Yavanna as they performed a symphony for the arrival of Orome. Much will have changed ever since your grave sunk to the depths of the Sundering Seas, but so have you, and for the better... At the hour between the setting of the sun and the rising of the moon, the retinue of riders led by Alatar and Palando heralded the great huntsman in his shining form, bearing blue banners that fluttered before the face of Thorondor, his companion of old. The spool of Vaire spins once more. 
Mondo spoke with a tenor as unstirring as water within ice. The light of Glorfindel warmed the frigid deliverance of the Vala. His figure shone as brilliantly as the light of the stars and the suns and the trees reflected by the moon, and his radiance dared not to dim even in the vicinity of Namo the Aratar. Our favor is bountiful towards Glorfindel, and it is Glorfindel who shall seal the doom we have cast upon the Maiar. The Edhil bears a Hroag, bound to be consumed by a Fea that ever fades. But it is the Fea of this Edhel that has inspired us to shape for him a form greater than any of the children of Iluvatar. A congregation of Vanyar admired the gift of the Master of Spirits, a wonder that skirted their devotion to the Ainur. Lorifindele, they called the Martyr of Gondolin, his stature higher than that of the Eruhin before him. What is the doom designed for the Maya? Kurinir questioned Mandos with a hint of deigned disapproval. Is Lorifindele to be our lord in life, bound to flesh? Only a guide, Kurinir, Glorfindel responded, for the wise to bring their wisdom upon the lands of sunrise. To Middle-earth, Glorfindel will journey across the sundering seas as a companion of those we entitle the Darkness Slayer and the East Helper. Mondo spoke. East of the lands that once were, Glorfindel will provide strength of spirit to the Noldor of Lindon. For there are matters of the unseen world the elves cannot comprehend. In him resides our secret reasoning, and as our herald, Glorfindel will bring its word to the sea. Through me is conveyed the voice of Iluvatar unto your party. Mondos boomed monotonously. Your whispered counsels are too close to the one who has learned alongside you the art of defiant creation. One who now bears the consequences of desire unrestrained. Here you shall still remain, Kurunir, to lend Aule the aid he wishes. For the sparks of your anvil alone will not suffice against the enemy at the center of our endeavor. It is Olorin, then? Kurunir was quick to ask. It is only appropriate, for he too bears the doom of Manwe, and he must be the one to lead the leaguers that carry your counsel. Manwe cast a cold gaze upon Kurinir from the crowned Eyrie, and raised his finger for Oloran to speak. My lord, Sulimo, has seen farther than you can, Kin Kurinir. Oloran approached the scene of the smiths, and even for myself he sees no quest as of yet. And beside you, I will remain in gratitude to the Valar, sharing the glory with the Vanyar. Who, then, is the chosen one, my lord Sulimo? Kurinir implored. My lady Yavanna knows the hour has not yet arrived when the beast and bark will need her grace through me. Iwendil answered out of turn, sprouting his branching thoughts. I am to delight still in the gardens of Lord Yermo and ponder upon the doom of Namo until it manifests. Alatar and Palandu stood upon the podium of polished pearls below the stage of the Valar, 
adorned in an attire of threaded adamant, raising their youthful visages awash with wisdom towards Mandos in humility. The waters of Ulmo moved with the symphony, ushering a ship to the shores of the river that flowed from the halls. You will find refuge for those who rebelled against the worship of Morgoth in Hrun and Harad, and guide those tribes of men towards the goodness of Eru Iluvatar, Mandos commanded Alatar and Palando. The art of Orome you will teach to the defectors, and thus disarray the servants of Myron the Moored. Closer he once was to the wise, but now he has fallen into a fear of the very disorder he helped Morgoth unleash upon Middle-earth. He has turned away from our grace after agreeing with Oromen. He has called upon himself a doom akin to his fey master. We expect you to steer those he has bound to his worship towards the shores of Amal. In Myron, there is no longer hope, for Sauron he has now become. But in the men who once stood behind him, there is still a glimmer of repentance. Our blessings you carry upon your brows, Morinechtar and Romestamo, and the mercy of Niena you will bring to those long lost in the fog of the deceiver. As heralds of Orome, towards Quivienen you will endeavour, whence once your patron led these Vanyar across Middle-earth. Upon the deliverance of the final sigh, Vyre unraveled the Hroa of the chosen Istar, and wove for them a guise that illustrated their wisdom. The winds of Monwe carried their steed to the ship, and alongside Glorfindel, the blue-robed Istari sailed unto the east, witnessing the dispersing of the Ainur in the distance. As moonlight fell upon their stainless mast, the emissaries entered the walled harbor of Alqualonde, having leisurely crossed the cleft of Calakiria, nested in the pass of the Polori Mountains. I sense the sadness still in this breeze. Glorfindel disembarked from the ship, taking in the honeyed scents of the alleys that had once reeked of kinslaying. The golden-beaked swan ships rested in the tranquil waters far from Tyrion. I wish I had not avoided these shores when the Nodor robbed the Falmari of life. I wish I had stayed the hands that set fire to the sails, he said to the Astari. The strength in me now was recognizable still, yet beside Galadriel I stood and watched these ports pillaged and pruned of life more precious than all the perils. I envy your comfort in darkness, for the fire of Feanor has burned a scar in my spirit that even death cannot heal. This purpose, then, is it promising? Alatar asked as they advanced onto another ship that set them towards Toloresi, from Swanhaven sunk in sorrow. Adjusting the fabric underneath his ceremonial armor, Glorfindel gave a succinct response. I will now garrison once again in Middle-earth through the actions of those who once stayed here while I laid in my grave unaware. He spoke of the sojourn of Erendil and Elwing. In a time long before, Glorfindel had battled the Balrog for their forebears at the guarded passes of Gondolin. There is little respite in that recognition. 
I hold hope for the harbors beyond Eldamar we now sail towards. The fate to entwine destiny with my valor is remarkable. It is only telling that you are tied to those who ate from the fruits of Irmo, and chose between the two dooms of Eru Iluvatar as presided by Mandos, Palando spoke softly, and it is only fitting that you now venture once more into Middle-earth, in the company of those whom the Balrog called kin, however distant and distorted our relations might be. Now since the time of the trees have we wandered to the lands of the waking. Glorfindel guided the gondola towards the city of Avalone, at the shores of the once-floating isle of Tolorese, and remained silent until they boarded their next vessel. The three travelers spent a day and a night at Tolorese, biding their time and building their courage to bid the Undying Lands goodbye. For the Maiar, this was an unfamiliar undertaking. To live in Valinor as lesser forms of their original selves before their arrival upon Arda was a consolation they had grown comfortable to experience. With the Valar, they had envisioned Middle-earth in the Great Symphony of Eru, and they were drawn to this vision long before it had materialized. For all the tribulations unleashed upon them through the discord of Melkor, the Wise Ones were removed from the roots and rocks of the ramifications that followed, but now they were to leave behind their relative safety, and head into the unknown and unpredictable, at once bearing wisdom beyond the imagining of the Erechin and approaching them as naive strangers in strange lands, where they held no dominion over the events that would transpire. This uncertainty perturbed Palando and Alatar, growing apprehensive by the hour. What do you look forward to the most? Glorfindel asked them as they boarded the ship for Numenor. To live amongst decay, and still preserve the light eternal, Alatar replied, and to find that light eternal amidst the decay. Learning how to awaken close to sunrise, and not look upon the valor, Palando added. And more importantly, to not look down upon the Eruhin who mocked their majesty. Can we blame them? Alotar asked. They had no means or cause to decipher the designs of Eru that we foresaw in the music. What strength it must take for mortal men to resist the seduction of evil, when even our own succumbed in numbers. Yet, every day upon Middle-earth, the Eruhin do not ponder over these matters at all, Glorfindel said. They have busied themselves in routine, scavenging, foraging, hunting, growing, and shaping their own little destinies with the tools they create from the fruits of your ancient labors. They look to the stars, but do not recognize the thought of Varda Kementari. They sip from the streams, but do not see the humming of Omo in its ripples. They eat from the tree, but Yavanna they do not find the sweetness of. They are makers in their own right, continuing the way of the Valor as if entranced in a walking reverie. Eru has placed the desire in them to challenge mortality, while Makin overlooked the passage of time and all the stories it holds therein lost in its confluence. I wonder which of the Eruhin are more evil then, for the elves are not hurried into worrying about our end. If we are fiercely guarded, desperate to preserve the beauty we have wrought without truly sparing a thought to act as a bridge between the Ainur and the mortals growing ever distant from their reach. We are all akin to one another in this regard, Alatar said. The Ainur and the Eruhin both quest to preserve something of value, 
whatever the value they imbibe in the objects of our fascination. Yet somewhere beyond our senses, we are all aware that it must end, and that it was bound to end. After all, when we were far from this created land, even farther from these stars, we had no concept of time or decay, and we were not compelled to preserve anything. We just were, and we just made, and our making was not riddled with the restlessness that reigns even in the timeless halls of Ilmarin. You reside in the past that never was, Palando contested. When we chose to follow the Valar to our realized creation, we knew we had to forego the privilege of the ever-present. We knew the symphony was to end with thunderous applause or deafening roars. And each of us carried this awareness of choice with us when we landed upon a barren canvas. The choices that Myron and the Maiar made were not under the influence of Melkor, just as these men are not under the influence of Sauron. They are driven by defiance of their doom. Even the dwarves are not immune to this, despite their creation at the hands of Aule, however hardier than the Maiar they might be. Alatar shared a piece of Lembas with Palando, and responded in kind. In a way, we are all Eruhin, for we all come from the One. There was nothing before him, and there will be nothing after him. Our collective symphony is but an interlude to the silence that is inherent to Iluvatar's timeless existence. How we contend with these truths is up to us, and not the responsibility of anyone else. All we can do is nudge those astray towards an understanding. Palando poured the draft of Avalone for Glorfindel and replied, However... If they continue to misunderstand the intent of our mission, we have no choice but to retaliate against them. This you must know. The elves were corrupted into orcs not out of their choice, but through subjugation. And yet when their sword slashes against your skin, you cannot respond with rhyme or reason, can you? Alatar looked at Palando with a hint of disagreement, and sighing a deep sigh, he spoke a truce. I understand your perspective. Although I am not as cynical as you in anticipation of who awaits us, if they even have thought about any aid from Valinor, Rune is abreast of Quivenian, and that must inspire hope, for pure were those lands, and pure they can once again become. In Understar we can learn more about what awaits us, Glorfindel intervened, putting the matter to rest, and retired to a restless sleep under the stars, reminiscing his days in the halls of Turgon until the first rays fell upon the land of the star. There it stands, a monument that you must take pride in, Alatar said to Glorfindel as he returned to the top deck. If not for your sacrifice, the Valar would not have shaped it from the depths of the sea where once your old Hroa lay buried. A depiction of doom that skirts the lands of the deathless and the deathly as these borders behind us make it distinct for everyone else, Palando contributed to the appraisal. I understand the declaration delegates us to the east, however if not for us, and if not for you, and if not for the rest of the Maiar, who is to counsel Numenor while it occupies the very lands we are to heal? I do not know what the egos of Manwe make of their matters, Glorfindel said. But I know they are keen. I am though their eyes are ever watchful, as they were when I lay broken and without breath at the bottom of Condolin, beside the foe I had besieged. 
Docking an Andu star, the travelers marveled at the masonry of men unencumbered by the ease of magic. Glorfindel was to touch upon Numenor briefly, while the Astari were purposed to take a detailed measure of the land of the star, and to learn more from them about the colonies they were about to set sail for from the faithful. The Elendili stood on the pier, clad in pristine white, to welcome the blue wizards. Word had arrived from Avalone beforehand, as letters between the two islands still bore meaning. Glorfindel felt proud looking upon their faces, knowing that they would not be there if not for his battle against the Balrog. In Linden he was to greet yet another son of Irendil, and he was gleeful at this thought. The Astari were not yet accustomed to partings, and were misers in the matters of farewells. They stepped off the ship and turned to Glorfindel, gracing him with a gentle wave. It was my pleasure to journey this far with you. Glorfindel bowed to the Astari as the white oars of the golden-eyed swan ship goaded the water to push away from the island of Andor towards the grey havens of Mithlond. I have canvassed the countries of Beleriand and Eriador, and even graced the eastern terraces of Candenbrun, and yet just as you I am thrilled to discover the new amidst the old. I wish you all the success in the east, my friends, and I hope we can meet each other again and share what we have learned and what we have taught. Until then, Namare. <laughs>